So welcome to the Soul Cafe, where life is served up freshly brewed. So what's this Soul Cafe podcast all about? We're just trying to create space and hope and justice for all people, making sure that the table is getting larger and larger for us to gather around and talk and be justice for all people. So thanks for joining us today. Today is a special Martin Luther King Jr. weekend episode. And so thanks for joining us this day. And as always on the Soul Cafe podcast, we remind ourselves, or Della May and that voice of Celia Woodsmith reminds us that we all need somewhat of an awakening. So let us rudely awake. for that rude awakening once again thanks for joining us here on the soul cafe podcast we are so excited today to have with us jennifer bailey uh jennifer uh, is a faith leader to watch by the uh, was called a faith leader to watch by the center for american progress she's an ordained minister a public theologian national leader in the multi-faith movement for justice and the founder and executive director of the Faith Matters Network, a womanist-led organization equipping community organizers, faith leaders, and activists with resources for connection, spiritual sustainability, and accompaniment. And she's also the co-founder of the People's Supper, an organization that hosted thousands of suppers in 150 communities nationwide, bringing people together to engage constructively on issues affecting their communities. Jennifer Bailey is a sought-after commentator on the intersection of faith and religion in public life. Her work has been featured on Being with Krista Tippett, CBS This Morning, The New York Times, and dozens of other publications. And she's also the author of the book, to my beloveds, 
or to my beloveds, letters on faith, race, loss, and radical hope. So welcome and thanks for being with us this day, Jennifer Bailey. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So in, in my interviews with such cool and important people like yourself, I always like to start with something basic uh, to all people, you know, something that just kind of puts us all on the same level. And so I'm asking a really deep question to start out. Jennifer, how do you have fun? <laughs> That's such a good question. Thank you for it. Um, you know, these days, a lot of my fun has been in the spirit of childlike wonder. I have a two-year-old son named Max. And so a lot of my delight and fun comes from watching him discover the things that he loves and is passionate about. He loves music, Frank, and um, is a big fan in particular of marching bands. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, we took him, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, to Tennessee State University's homecoming parade um, mm. back in the fall. And ever since, he has been obsessed with marching bands. It is the thing he asked to watch when he wants to hang out. He um, has a full array of toys, uh, fake oh, trumpets wow. and drums. Yesterday, we got him a saxophone. And so there's a lot of fun in our household marching around the house following Max's um, drum major and having him whip us into shape as we are our own family marching band these days. <laughs> wow. My son is a high school marching band director. So anyway, uh, yeah, so <laughs> got a connection there already. Um, so uh, there, there was something uh, as we kind of, uh, I was going to ask you something like, you know, what is your favorite cereal? But that was, that's kind of a flashback to my youth ministry days. And I, so I try to stay away from stuff like that now. But anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, there was a quote uh, in your book. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I found it in your book. But it says that our grief and despair can be composted into a new life filled with courage, hope, and purpose for our shared future. Talk to me, just uh, talk to our audience, uh, just a little bit about what was going on with that statement. Mm, absolutely. So one of the defining factors of and facts of my life is that uh, I'm 35 years old, and in this past three and a half decades of my life, I've had um, both the, the gift of walking with several people who are very close to me as they've transitioned and passed away um, and then had a number of unexpected deaths of friends in my 20s and early 30s. Um, those deaths included the death of my mother who for 14 years battled metastatic breast cancer. And so, so much of my worldview and understanding from the age of 13 on was defined by the sort of anticipatory grief of having a, a mom with stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. And so much of my identity was shaped by that as a young person and now being a mother myself. And, and so I think one of the things that grief allows us to do when we open ourselves up to it, um, which I have not always been the best at, I am the type of person that, especially when I was playing a caregiver role for my mom would 
press down and press down and press down and serve as that caregiver and not attend to my grief until it finally bubbled over. And I think for those of us in ministry, we're often called to be caregivers, even in the midst of our grief. Um, And so we can't always tend to it. Um, But one of the things that when I did open myself up fully to that journey and the continued journey of grief, knowing that it's not a destination we reach is that I found myself not only being endowed with a greater sense of empathy for those who have experienced loss, especially the loss of a loved one, but also that the act of collective grief and mourning in community, um, both, you know, in the case of my mother's death with my family, but in a much more structural way as we think about the lasting impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic allows us to recognize that we're not alone. And when we realize that we're not alone, when we realize that this experience of grief and loss is one that is so deeply shared and felt um, by so many, we also recognize that our healing can't happen alone either. And part of the journey of healing to me is not only about addressing and tending to the wounds and pains of the past, but is also about how we might collect imagine a better future together, one in which everyone um, has a space and can find a sense of meaning, purpose, and belonging. Mm. And I think that can only happen collectively, right? Mm. Um, And so... I think that's what when I when I hear that quote back, um, I'm like, first of all, I'm like surprised. I'm like, was I did I write that? That sounds good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've, uh, I've been into the but, soul a lot lately, and so it, um, so it's the, that's the sort com- of an explanation. Of it. Yeah, the composting <laughs> part just uh, I think really just kind of reminds us that we're so connected to not only the soul, but we're connected to each other and. Like you said, and uh, and by the way, folks, uh, uh, to my beloved's letters on faith, race, loss, and radical hope, Jennifer Bailey's book. Um, I'm gonna I'm warn you. Uh, you know, I, I, I got it, and I thought, okay, this is a short book. I'll just wipe this baby out, and you know, uh, a couple hours, and uh, and and I'm still stuck uh, because it's so. Uh, when it says letters on faith race, loss, and radical hope. It takes a while for some of that to compost in us and, and to bring us that hope as you, as you listen to these stories that uh, uh, the letters that Jennifer talks about uh, in the book. So get the book, and it, it will help you uh, reach some radical hope, I'm assuming, and hoping. So today... Uh, one of the main reasons, uh, as I s- alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, um, is uh, every year I like to really, t- uh, and this started for me when I was a, a, a pastor in some very activist type of churches, um, but I've always uh, liked to spend some time personally uh, just kind of rereading some of Martin Luther King's works, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s works, and and just letting them uh, compost once again into my very soul and soil, um, mm-hmm. and 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 so uh, uh, Jennifer in her work with communities and networks of people, uh, uh, obviously has been influenced by many, but uh, would like for her just to 
talk a little about uh, how her work uh, that she does now and has done in the past, uh, how has she been influenced by Martin Luther King Jr.? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that question. And as I reflect on our work over the past eight years at Faith Matters Network, the organization that I'm so privileged to help lead alongside some really incredible um, women leaders. Um, you know, I our mission is really to think about how we can accompany spiritually grounded Rudy, leaders, spiritually grounded leaders on their journeys to heal themselves and their communities. And my own um, journey and faith walk um, and its connection in particular to issues of justice and equity is so deeply grounded in my own experience growing up as the daughter of um, folks who lived through the civil rights movement. My mother, Christine, was the first um, part of the first class in her high school in 1968 to be integrated in a small town called Cairo, Illinois, but grew up during a pretty tumultuous time where there was a lot of racial tensions in the midst of the civil rights movement in Cairo. And so I grew up hearing these stories, these stories of the experience of what the movement was like in that small town, how it showed up. Um, and it wasn't until really I, I entered into high school and was in that period as so many young people are um, coming of age. And for me, this was the early 2000s. So against the backdrop of of 9-11 and lots of questions being put into the public square about the role of religion and faith in our public life. Um, I, I started to ask myself, what does the Christian tradition, and in particular the historically Black church tradition of which I'm a part of, have to say about questions of injustice and equity? And I had the great privilege my senior year of high school to do a program at Gary Evangelical Theological Seminary called Faith Passage. And it was a program for um, Methodist youth across sort of the Wesleyan traditions of the United Methodist, AME, AME Zion, CME um, denominations mm -hmm. to really explore the intersection of Christianity and justice and equity work. And I had the opportunity for the first time to begin reading biblical passages alongside the work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who, of course, I had grown up hearing many stories of and like, you know, Many young Black folks <laughs> watched yeah. Eyes on the Prize and some of those great documentaries with my family. But it wasn't until I was able to dig into his actual text, um, yeah. read a book called Strength to Love, revisited um, letters to the to from a Birmingham jail, that I began to see the thread between the Christianity that I practiced and the way that it calls us to imagine a different possibility for the world and that figures like Dr. King and the, the everyday soldiers of the civil rights movement, the Southern freedom movement, as many uh, refer to it, really were the living embodiment of the gospel here on earth, not just the social gospel, but the gospel insofar as that they were projecting out a vision of what the kingdom of God could look like right here on earth when we allow ourselves to give everyone, not just a space at the table, but a space and opportunity to thrive. And we are still aspiring towards those goals. We are still really? have not reached that mountaintop that Dr. King so famously talked about the night before he was shot in Memphis. But it is in the aspiration, it is in that journey that I think we can learn so much, both about who we are as a people and who we are as people of faith. Mm. 
Well, interesting that uh, that the uh, organization that you're uh, in charge of, Faith Matters Network. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, so that whole intersection of, uh, it's interesting that, that King, for you, King really helped to, helped you with that intersection uh, early on, and, and, and that's when, and that's really when faith really did begin to matter in some ways. Uh, the, that it was more than just uh, uh, something in a book, uh, but the, the intersection, I've always loved that, that uh, uh, I never can remember who said it, but, you know, the person that said uh, they come to the pulpit with a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. And, uh, mm, uh, yes. and that, uh, and I've always kind of followed up with that, that, you know, if um, the Bible does not have something to say to the real world uh, or intersect with our everyday life then then what good is scripture so um but uh i think it becomes sacred and holy when it intersects um uh with our with our existence and who we are and how we live our lives but anyway that's uh that's enough for a old retired minister sermon but um <laughs> so um uh yeah Thanks for that, and just uh, and and how that uh, shaped who you are in some ways, and and shaped uh, what you do currently. Um, so, is there? Uh, I always like to kind of touch base with people that I'm talking with, and uh, uh, and ask them, uh, you know, what are you passionate about? And I know, I know you're passionate about that two-year-old. I know that already. Mm-hmm. But what are you? What, <laughs> but what else? What are you really passionate about right now? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, the two-year-old aside, I'm I both am passionate about him, and oof, Frank, he's two. <laughs> In all of the two-ness that two-ness brings. Um, yeah. So as Lots much as I'm passionate so about many my beloved baby, I am also grateful when he goes to daycare. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, I think one of the questions that is really been on my mind, and part of this is a question of, of family legacy and thinking about the role of intergenerational relationships hmm. to help guide us out of some of the catastrophes. I mean, we're facing several like generational um, crises at the same time right now, whether we're thinking about the pandemic, we're thinking about sort of challenges to institutions and structures and our democracy, and we're thinking about the threat of climate change. And um, I'm just acutely aware of the wisdom and knowledge that all generations have to bring to these questions. I think, you know, so often we rely on particular types of experts to guide us, but man, these problems are just so, so much bigger than anything any one set of people can solve. And so what I'm passionate about is thinking about how we elevate and amplify the the voices and experience and wisdom of generations of people, whether we're talking about what I call senior saints (laughs) in the church or playground prophets like Max, who 
have wisdom to contribute to this moment. And one of the things that's most deeply distressing to me, at least in the U.S. context, is that we find ourselves more isolated by generation than ever before, Mm. where once, you know, we've where there was a time in American life where intergenerational households were the norm, right? right? Where, you know, grandma lived down the street and cousins lived across the street um, and everybody took part in sort of the rearing of children as a village community, whether that be, you know, biological family or chosen family in a community. Right. We find that happening less and less. And with it, um, patterns of isolation and loneliness being highest among seniors and members of generation Z actually. And so I'm, I'm really passionate about getting under that, that question of what will it take for us to um, re-solidify and build trust to strengthen what intergenerational relationships can look like Mm. today. um, Given we're at sort of an inflection point for our species (laughs) right now. And it's really going to take all of us to, to tend to those problems. Wow. Jeez. Now that's something to be passionate about. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's, um, I think I, I, I learned some of this from uh, uh, Parker Palmer and, and he was talking about mm-hmm. uh, how kind of one of his life goals when he turned 80, I think was, uh, uh, to uh, to learn more from younger generations, uh, and mm-hmm. and to have some some friends that were of a younger generation, because his he was seeing the world from one angle, you know, one perspective, and so it's uh, you know you throw in that playground prophet as you call it, uh, and I love that term. Uh, the uh, it gives you uh, you know then then you pull out the crayons and you start coloring this new picture, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you uh, and and people like Valerie Kerr have have helped me uh, to to see that really um, we need to listen to each other's voices uh, across the generation because we all have something to bring to the table and it's. Uh, and we may just have some of the answers to, and solutions to some issues uh, when we listen to one another. So thanks. Yeah, gosh, wow. That, that, is, a, that is something to be passionate about. So, wow. So I know you've got uh, other things to do with your life, uh, you know, two-year-old and other things. But uh, uh, Thanks so much, Jennifer, for joining me for this short time together today. And uh, please uh, keep up all that you do and uh, have created and uh, with the, as a part of this beloved community. Uh, thanks for your, your, your work in Faith Matters Networks. Thanks for your book. And remind everybody to run out and get the book to my beloved's Letters on Faith, Race, Loss, and Radical Hope by Jennifer Bailey. Uh, so thanks so much for being with us today, Jennifer, and, uh, I will touch base with you again soon. Thank you so much, Frank. Have a wonderful day. Okay. Take care. Wow, folks. Jeez. Um, I am a lucky person to, uh, and humbled by all these people that I get to interview, um, 
for the Soul Cafe podcast. And uh, I think we've seen today uh, so much of the heart and spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, with Jennifer Bailey and and what she's trying to do and accomplish uh, on this good planet that we call Earth. Um, so thanks so much for uh, uh, joining us today as we have talked about these things. And I encourage you uh, during this Martin Luther King weekend to uh, maybe go back and uh, compost some of the writings of King and uh, sermons of King. Uh, one of the biggest life changes that I had, uh, and I referred to this a year ago, was listening uh, to some old cassette tapes of King uh, and some of his sermons and just how the, just the, f- the justice and hope within some of those sermons and how they rekindled within me a desire and a motivation to be a part of this justice change in our world. So we're all in this together. All generations, we're all in this together, whether you're the old saint that's been marinating a long time or you're just the playground prophet. We're thankful that you have joined us today. I hope that you will let this song that we often go off the air with, uh, another song by Della May, a song that reminds us that For the sake of our hearts, we need to get out in nature and let some composting begin in our souls and our soul uh, where we, uh, we notice things that are all around us that are a part of creation, that we notice each other. And so go this day uh, for the sake of your heart. For the sake of my heart, I am going To wander the mountains where I was born For the sake of finding my way again I must be in this place alone Where there's healing in the sun when she rises and forgiveness when she settles back down in the hills there's strength in the love of living and in knowing how to be still have you ever stood at the mountains as they change from
the Soul Cafe Podcast, where life is served up freshly brewed. Make that table bigger. Listen to each other. <laughs>